Welcome to AZ TechCast, sponsored by the Arizona Technology Council, with your hosts, Steve Zylstra and Karen Nowitz. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites leading experts to have real conversations about what is happening in the tech sector across the state of Arizona. From regional news to innovative startups, companies, and emerging technologies, AZ TechCast covers the critical issues and economic trends propelling the state's growing tech ecosystem. In a constantly changing world, businesses must stay adaptable by performing periodic strategic analysis. Through this process, company leaders can review historical data to not only inform their long-term strategy, but identify the technology solutions to stay ahead of the curve. Welcome to Phoenix Business Radio X. I'm Karen Nowicki, president and owner of Phoenix Business Radio X, and I'd like to welcome you to AZ TechCast, sponsored by the Arizona Technology Council. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites tech and business experts to have real conversation about what's happening across the state of Arizona. AZ TechCast discusses the critical issues, topics, and trends propelling the estate's growing tech ecosystem. And so please join me in giving a very warm welcome to today's featured guest. We have Julie Gable, CEO and founder of BusinessWise. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So excited. And I love the way that you spell business wise. I just got a little chuckle out of that business and then W-H-Y-S. That's correct. Looking forward to hearing all about your company and the work you do. And Bob Interdonato, General Manager of Lumen. Howdy. Hello. Thanks I got for the, being here. Did I do okay with the last name? Yeah, you did a great I job. I rehearsed it about nine times yeah, in my mind. Just like it's spelled. Very good. Well, <laughs> that's that's difficult for me. <laughs> and Maladi Lee Parker, founder and CEO of Macroscope Studios. Hello, thank you. Welcome. So glad to have all three of you here. And with these accomplished experts, we also have Bianca Baliga, who is not Steve Zalstra. She's standing in for <laughs> Steve today, and I'm always thrilled when she's here. Bianca is the Director of Marketing and Communications at Arizona Technology Council, and we are going to discuss how to successfully conduct strategic business analysis and prepare for an unpredictable business environment. Nobody knows what that's about these days. <laughs> and we have a lot of interesting content to cover. And before we do that, let's say hello to Bianca. Welcome. Hi there. So happy to be here with you all. We're thrilled to have you. And we were we were smiling because this is the first time in the over two years that Arizona Technology Council and Business Radio X have collaborated on this show. And it's the first time we've had guests, three guests in the studio. I think last month we had one guest with me. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds right. So thank you so much for being here. Where did you come from in the Valley? Did you have to tra- travel far? Yes, I did. I had to come from South Tempe. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> Thank you. You're you, welcome. You did well. Bob, how about you? Um, up in the Kierland area. Not bad. Not too far. Yeah. Uh, Scottsdale. Excellent. I was in Deer Valley this morning for a, a luncheon from Awatuki. <laughs> yes, at 7 a.m. And so, uh, you know, zipped back to the studio. But we are deeply appreciative of your expertise, your willingness to come and share your success story, and of course, your knowledge as we launch into today's conversation. And Bianca, next time we're going to get you here. I know you're incredibly busy, but next time we'll have you sitting here with us. I have some serious FOMO right now if you're missing out. Good, so good. That's how we want it. Well, very good. the party without me. <laughs> right. So let's have each of you uh, begin by just sharing a little bit about yourself, the role that you play in, in your organization, and then we'll get into the meat of the conversation. And the one thing we forgot to say in the green room is that we really want this to be a well-rounded conversation. Bianca and I 
don't want to have to be gatekeepers the whole time, we will play that role. Feel free to ask questions of each other. I know a couple of you have worked with each other in the past, but tag team off each other. You know, let's just have it fluid. And, and that means there might be a little bit of an awkward pause when one of us asks a question and give you a moment to kind of formulate your thoughts. And then one of you just jump in there like we would as if we're having coffee together and no one's the gatekeeper. Is that fair enough? Fair enough. That's usually Sounds an great. off air thing, but there we go. That's what, that's what we do before we go on air. <laughs> All right. So right behind the scenes. So with that, if you'd introduce yourself and tell us about the role that you play and a little bit about your organization, we've got up to an hour. So jump in. Well, I'll go ahead and They're start. They're looking at you. Yeah, everyone's <laughs> looking at me, so I'll jump on in. Uh, like you said, I'm Julie Gable. I'm the founder and CEO of BusinessWise. Brief intro about me. Uh, my decades-long career in tech began back with Anderson Consulting. It's Accenture today. Uh, but back then, I was working on uh, complex uh, custom software implementations with Fortune 100 companies. More recently, I was the chief operating officer of a local-based managed services provider, really focused in core infrastructure. And throughout my career, I have seen companies of all shapes and sizes make large investment decisions without really understanding the why behind them. And by why, I mean a clear picture of what problem it is we're trying to solve and what success looks like. And that's why I founded BusinessWise. We help companies focus on the why to drive their ROI. Oh, it's so catchy. Right. So catchy and so critical. All right. We're now staring Bob down. I oh, think no he's problem. Next. So my name is Bob Interdonato. I'm the general manager for Lumen Technologies. We are the business-to-business -business arm of CenturyLink. So a lot of you might remember us as CenturyLink, but yes. uh, the, we rebranded the company about uh, two years ago. And my responsibilities include all of our business customers from Southern Nevada throughout Arizona, New Mexico, and the slice of West Texas in and around El Paso. Um, one of the reasons we we changed the name of the company and rebranded the company back in, in 2020 was because we have so many different things that we do within organizations that are not network related. And by rebranding the company, we opened conversations with our customers around some of our other areas of expertise around consulting, security services, unified communications, and, and those types of things. And the industry in itself, the industry experts have really taken notice to some of the things that we've been doing for years and years. And it's amazing how just rebranding the company maybe opening opens people's eyes of what our true capabilities are. Fascinating. So. We'll have you back for a branding and, uh, and marketing conversation. <laughs> That's neat. And how long have you been with the organization? I've been with uh, CenturyLink slash Lumen for the last 10 years. I and, think you said that. I apologize. Yep, and yeah. previously, I was with the competitive local exchange carrier before that. Okay. And a variety of different things when I was younger. Right. Well, so. many of us have, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, we all have done a lot, haven't we, Bob? <laughs> uh, my name is Malati Lee Parker, and I'm the CEO and founder of Macroscope Studios. And we are invested in creating a new way of working and collaborating uh, in this world of hybrid, uh, remote modeling that we're kind of all just figuring out together, I think the important question that we should be asking ourselves is, when is the right time to come together in person? And how can we make those engagements as productive, as impactful, and as beautiful as possible? Hmm. Beautiful offsites, beautiful outcomes. Fantastic. Thank you all for being here. I would love to have Bianca introduce herself, of course, and tell us a little about Arizona Technology Council, since some of our listeners and viewers may not know who you are. 
I would love to. Thank you, Karen. Uh, I am Bianca Buliga. I am the Director of Marketing and Communications over, the, over at the Arizona Technology Council. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the Council, we are the premier trade association for science and technology companies in Arizona. We have around 700 members right now that really range in size from early stage startups to larger corporations that are household names. Um, they also span a really wide range of industries. So we've got folks in optics and photonics and aerospace and defense, a number of different industries. Um, you name it, we've probably got a company or two at least. So we stay busy. Uh, we run about 100, 100 plus events a year and those can be virtually or in person. We actually have two of our largest events of the year coming up um, in the next couple of months. We have our Southern Arizona Tech and Business Expo and that's in Tucson on October 19th. And then we have our Governor's Celebration of Innovation coming up on November 8th. That's at the Phoenix Convention Center. So if you want to learn more about what we do or get involved with the council, please join us at an upcoming event. I always like to talk about the foundation as well. So SciTech Institute is the foundation for Arizona Technology Council. And when you walk down here, I don't know if Daryl pointed them out, but they're just down the hallway here in the same building. And they really support K-12 STEM education. And Bianca, watching Dr. Babendor and Kelly, you know, just take this, this SciTech Institute to a whole nother level is mind-blowing. I think the last two years, you're, I don't remember how many U.S. cities in addition to how many countries now, but it's not just Arizona specific. It's really impacting uh, having a great impact worldwide for our educators and our kids, particularly middle school. It, did I do that justice? Is there anything else you'd want to add to that, Bianca? I think you did a great job. I would just add that I was at their STEM and Innovation Summit earlier this week um, at the Arizona Science Center. They had over 800 people there. They had um, students from schools all over the state. So it was just so impressive to see their work in action. They're incredible. Yes, doing great work. And right, that's how we land in these jobs. And maybe some of us have bounced around to different careers. <laughs> uh, we've had many people in here uh, who, you know, they grew up wanting to be an engineer. They're an engineer. They grew up doing one thing and they're still doing it. That hasn't been my, my situation. Well, let's get into the conversation around strategic analysis and really how technology can help us stay adaptable. And again, I'm just going to throw out a question and let you guys think about it and have somebody jump in and then play off of each other. How would you define strategic business analysis and why do you think it's important for companies of all sizes, particularly in this day and age? Well, you know, I'll jump in there because you're speaking my love language. Strategic business analysis is really what we do at, at, at my company, and it's, it's about that why. It's really about defining the problems that we're trying to solve and making sure that we all understand and are aligned with what success looks like. Uh, there's a great Steve Jobs quote out there. It says something like, if you define the problem correctly, you almost have the solution. And mm -hmm. I really, I really believe in that. And I think it's, you know, perhaps more important today that we really give that it, it, its due because it's in, the, in today's day and age, especially within tech, it's about do more with less. It's about change or die. So everybody is really trying to move super quickly. And what we need to do is sometimes take a step back and go slowly at first so that we can move faster later on. I definitely agree with you. But I also think in today's environment, you know, things have changed so much that you have to have the platform to be able to quickly acquire data analyze that data and then act upon it. And if you don't have the, you could have the greatest business plan in the world, but if you don't have a vehicle to be able to change, like you said, adapt and, and adapt in a very quick manner, I think you'll, you'll fail. 
So, and we've seen that numerous times throughout, you know, history. You can think of companies like Netflix and Uber and and all sorts of things of that nature that totally have disrupted industries. And it's going to continue to happen. Right. The why, though, is something that I think I've seen misinterpreted a lot in my career. And the data doesn't always tell you the why. In fact, I used to get data to tell me the why, right? So I can get the insights and figure it out. I used to be a pilot. And at the beginning of every flight, you file a flight plan, right? And you chart it. And I did it before there was a lot of fancy avionics. It was all on my knee. If you didn't know where you were going or why you were taking a route, because to avert weather or because you were uncomfortable with the terrain or something, you were about to bust into Phoenix Sky Harbor airspace, which I'd never done before, ever. <laughs> If you get something wrong because you don't understand the why in this fast-paced, data-driven current environment, you have a chance to scale a mistake so fast and so expensively, you won't even know what happened. A 10-degree error when when you're charting a flight plan can take you to a completely different place with enough wind speed and enough engine power. And we have that wind speed and engine power now. So unless you stop and go, where am I going? Why am I going there? Mm-hmm. And what are some of the things I need to look for? So I actually get there. You're going to die. <laughs> or be lost. <laughs> or be lost. <laughs> I actually really love that analogy, Milady. I think that's such a good thing for businesses to keep in mind of all sizes, honestly. But what I'd be curious to know is, when is a good time? I mean, obviously you would want to get this going before you really launch, but how do you build these times into your normal year and your normal routine to make sure it's a constant part of what you do? I'll take it. (laughs) So that's a wonderful question, Bianca. And (laughs) I think the answer that I'm going to give is going to be a little bit frustrating, but it's true. You need to figure that out for yourself. And I think that if you can't answer and be honest with yourself why you're doing something, then maybe you shouldn't ask other people to do something with you. This is the work you have to do to lead, is to understand the why and figure out the right time to ask it so it's not going to impede your velocity. It's not going to give you blinders of potential or possibility, but you are stopping every once in a while and going, does this feel right? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I thought your analogy of a 10 degree, you know, miscalculation might put you in Timbuktu instead of Alaska, right? I totally understand <laughs> that, which which is why I think as business leaders, you constantly have to be collecting data, analyzing that data and making sure you're going on the right course. And if you're not consistently checking that stuff, you could end up in God knows where. Mm-hmm. And, and, let, and like you said, spend a lot of time and energy and money and think you were doing the right thing and end up completely off course somewhere else. So I think constant evaluation and constant analysis of of what you're doing and validating that the direction you're going and the why and what you're trying to accomplish, that whatever whatever plan you put together is still leading you in that direction. I can't tell you how many times you know, we as an organization have thought we should go down one path and then we've started down that path and realized like, oh, there's a little tangent here. This is a much better route to go where, 
and, and, and like you comparing it to flying a plane, right? Storms pop up in the middle of nowhere and all of a sudden you've got to, you got to adjust and reroute and do those things. And in today's past fast paced business environment, it's no different. Right. And it's uh, clearly it's strategic for a reason. It's not, pro- or excuse me, it is preventative. The whole idea is do this before you are spending thousands of dollars, yeah. <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars to course correct, right? Yeah, it's not wait for the about, storm. <laughs> right, yeah, right. It's about being proactive, right? And I think that's that's where that, you know, having a really clear picture of success and success measurables defined is really important, right? Because like you said, if things get, you know, kind of heated and confusing in the moment, right? So having those measurables that you can keep checking against, am I still on track? Am I still on track? Have I lost sight of what we're trying to accomplish? I think is super important. You know, Julie, those metrics that you're talking about, they come from the why in my background. Absolutely. Yeah. Until I know what the why is, until I can articulate or define the problem statement, or I like to call it the North Star. Mm -hmm. Unless I know what my North Star is at all times, I don't know how well I'm doing against that. I don't know when I need to check my trajectory. I don't know how to check my airspeed. I don't know how much money I should keep pumping into this because I don't know when I'm failing or succeeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, data helps. Data helps a lot. But unless you know what to do with that data or how you're going to evaluate it, it's just a lot of work. <laughs> well, and, you know, in, in addition to the data, it's it's a lot about the people, Right. So a lot about defining what is why or what problem we're trying to solve is going to be across disparate groups in your organization. Uh, They might have completely different perspectives on on a problem that we're trying to solve and what that solution really is and definitely what success looks like. So it's taking that data, but also reining in those different perspectives and getting alignment. Yeah, especially, you know, you're talking about the people equation of this whole thing. And, mm. you know, sometimes the best ideas come from places you would, you would never think of, right? Exactly. Some of those ideas and, and, and things that are genius to that matter come from folks that aren't in those strategic kind of planning meetings. And you really got to empower your organization to be able to speak up. And if they see something that is not going right to have the confidence to do that, and then you can adjust. Right. And so, you know, I run an organization across the Southwest and I really encourage all of my people to, you know, if they see an issue, hey, let's talk about it. Let's, you know, bring it to my attention and then we'll try and figure out a way to solve for that. Because the worst thing I can have is, you know, us using a system or a tool or something else that doesn't work very well or is not producing the results that we want. But in the beginning, we thought that would be the, you know, the the best thing to do and have people just quietly deal with you know, strife or errors or, or be putting out more effort than they need to be if we could make quick adjustments. So important. Yeah. What should a company consider as they're evaluating historic data? We've touched on data just a little bit. So what should they consider? Uh, and then also in setting new priorities and goals and determining a long-term strategy. Just a mouthful there. <laughs> right. uh, can you repeat the question? <laughs> it kind of depends on the data and the company and the outcomes and the mission and the value and the goals <laughs> okay. and the business architecture. Yeah. But, you know, one thing I would say is you have to be careful with data. Like data is a very, very power- powerful tool. And uh, I would say for a lot of companies, it's probably their most important asset next to their people. Um, but data has its limitations. It can it can take you down the wrong path, the wrong flight plan pretty quickly because it can be skewed. It can mm-hmm. be incorrect. Uh, it can be misinterpreted. So I think it's super important to understand the limitations of data when you're using it and really, really take care. 
And that goes back to, I think, your quote that you shared, right? Having the right question. Yes. <laughs> so that you know what data you're looking for, yeah. what information exactly. you're looking for. I mean, when you're looking at statistics or data or anything else, you can you know there's a human nature if you think your idea is is correct to kind of skew the results and look at the results of the data that justify your position or, or what you've what you've set out to do, right? Confirmation need, bias. Exactly. Right? Confirmation yeah. bias. You have to definitely take a step back and and not be emotionally attached to what you're seeing, right? Just because you thought it was a great idea and we're going to go down this path. And then the data kind of tells me that, but it kind of doesn't tell me that. Like, don't be afraid to make a mistake, right? We're, we, we've all made plenty of mistakes in business and in our careers and in, throughout our lives. Like, don't be afraid to admit you made a mistake and quickly adapt and change. Big. I've been prior to stamp. I don't know how to say this word, Julie, founding, starting. Now I have invented a new word called stounding. <laughs> I, uh, when I was in development <laughs> with my current business, before I started this, I was working for a company called DeVita, which was a, a pretty large global company that does dialysis outpatient. And I was leading a, a product development team. And one of the most important things that we understood about data is that you, it can wear a crown or it can take you down to the pits <laughs> if it's wrong. The data situation when you're talking about healthcare or any complicated data pool, it's about where you get it, where it's sourced from, um, but also the transformations that happen to the data along the way, which can skew insights. Uh, I started my career as an actuarial analyst, which is basically someone who looks at numbers all day long, who looks at things called retrospective claims data. So every single time you go to the doctor's office, reams and reams of data are produced of that visit. Not only the diagnostics, the provider charts, but all the translations that happen along the way, lab values, high-tech radiology scans, all of those things kind of get coalesced and put into these big pools of data and in healthcare saying that we'll just, you know, we'll see what the data says is a little bit like saying, I'm going to look into a crystal ball because the way that data is sourced, maintained, transformed, and used along the way tends to change the data and it changes insights and it can lead to pretty significant disruption in strategic planning. Um, because it's real time, but it's also lagged, if that makes sense. When you're looking at data to give you a why, you're always going to find what you're looking for. But I think when I say the why first, and then I look for data to support that, I'm a little bit more critical of my research, of my why, mm -hmm. of my problem statement. That's the only thing, Bob, is I feel like humans should set the stage, should should kind of say the words to get the, the ball going. And then we should look for technology to be an enabler or a force multiplier. And looking for technology to tell us what we should be doing and why we should be doing it, and then using humans as an enabler or a force multiplier gives me a little feeling of ickiness. But I don't mm. pretend to say that there is a complete bifurcation of data and humans should use them at the same time, but in the right way. And all data is for me is a receipt of human interactions. <laughs> yeah, I, I, can, I can see what you're saying, but also 
to, you know, I don't think you would disagree with me that, you know, data can also provide you insights and give you other ideas and adjust your and and figure out if the why that you're trying to or what you're trying to accomplish if you're going down the right direction. Hard agree. Right. So hard agree. So I agree. There needs to, you know, data for data's sake is is useless information. Right. I mean, the, you know, what's the old saying? Junk in, junk out. Guy go. Yeah. Garbage in. Yeah, garbage right. in. Yeah. I went with junk. Sorry. Um, but, you know, gar- gar- yeah. Garbage in, garbage out. Right. So you have to, uh, you just got to make sure that you're, you're acquiring the right subset of information. Computers can analyze things and they can see trends and spot trends and do those things. But there's also an emotional quant- you know, quotient that goes to that. And how many times have you looked at a piece of information and your gut says that that can't be right? (laughs) And yet yet everything looks like it's an alignment on paper. It should be perfect. Exactly. Interesting. So, yeah, you know, you got to you got to trust your gut. Yeah, absolutely. On that note, uh, Karen, do you think now's a good time to thank our first sponsor? I do think it's a great time. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate that nice softball over my direction. So we do have two fantastic sponsors for this particular AZ TechCast. And the first one we'd like to thank is Arizona Commerce Authority. And we're going to have a moment to hear from them. We'll still be on camera, just so you know, a few things that we also failed to mention in the green room. So just smile and listen. Our streamlined pro-business approach helps you achieve more by putting less between you and future success. Less red tape, lower taxes, less distance separating you from the tech leaders of tomorrow. This innovative ecosystem will supply your business with tools and resources to compete in the 21st century and beyond. But your future is more than just business success. In Arizona, the lifestyle you want is at your fingertips. Explore cities known for their Southwest heritage and modern vision. Enjoy beautiful scenery and endless outdoor activities on land, water, or snow. And if you're looking for a little friendly competition, we've got plenty of teams to choose from. With constant sunshine, vibrant culture, and natural wonder, Arizona provides a style of living that's entirely unique. People from all over the world call our state home. From student leaders who fill the classrooms of our top-ranked universities to a skilled and abundant workforce that's ready for what's next. To the neighbors, friends, and peers we interact with daily, Arizonans are united by a pioneering spirit that moves us forward. So as you look to the future, know that it's filled with the perfect balance of innovation and high-quality living that makes life better here. I hear that spot every month, and every month I'm proud to be an Arizonan. makes me very excited about being here and being part of the business community. Uh, Our next question, and I've been thinking about this as we're chatting because we have a unique lineup, Bianca. We've got two folks who have founded and own their own company. And then we've got Bob, of course, who represents a very large company and plays a very important role as general manager. Uh, So when we're we're talking about uh, when a company wants to start to get involved in the strategic planning process, who ought they include and involve in that when they're working on a new technology project or initiative? So I'm already thinking about this as we've had the other conversations, but what, uh, who might a company want to involve in their strategic planning process if they're working on a new technology project or initiative? Go. 
I'm going to jump in. Go for it. <laughs> Lucky you sit next to me. It's yeah, kind of like I the feel default like I, I get to be first in, the, first in line here. Yeah. So um, I think this goes back to our question about alignment. And I think it's really important with a new tech initiative to um, broaden it beyond just your IT group, right? Because, uh, you know, number one, if you're doing tech for the sake of tech and you think it's not impacting the business or moving the ball forward with business, then you're you're just doing tech for the sake of tech, right? So it's critical to think about everybody who's going to be using that, whether it's software or a tool or something that you're hoping to implement, even as just a change initiative and really bring them on board. You know, from my experience, I would say that most tech initiatives that fail don't fail because of the tech. They fail because we didn't get buy-in from the user group. Um, maybe we didn't get their requirements nailed down. Uh, maybe we didn't communicate it and get everyone excited. Maybe we didn't train them uh, to use it. And, and a lot of times it even shifts your organization. It might change people's roles. It might change the structure. It will most definitely change process. So nailing all those kind of periphery things is super important with the tech initiative. And the only way to do that is to get all the stakeholders in the room. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I mean, I think I think the you know, tech for a long time and IT organizations for a long time were viewed as a cost center, right? And then in March of 2020, what happened? We sent, you know, 75% of the U.S. workforce home basically overnight. You know, and and we all we you know, and a lot of us are still working either from home or in this hybrid environment. But the most amazing thing about about that period of time in March of 2020 was the majority of organizations relied on IT to keep the motor running and to keep everything seamless. And by and large, CIOs and IT departments moved all these people in at to home by and large without breaking anything. Right. It's it's one of the most amazing human feats that yeah. that that has ever happened. Um, giving me PTSD a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I was I was working at DeVita in March of yeah. 2020 and I had a global team and uh, I was reporting to the CIO. Well, not directly to him, but up through the yeah. CIO. And I worked with a lot of people who made that happen. And I remember going to the office and like actually packing and wow. mailing and shipping laptops and monitors. devices, yeah. monitors. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was a, it was not just a flip the switch situation. Like this no. is hardware, infrastructure, software, right. remoting, um, teaming. So, so my point to that, my point to that is when we got through that, I think the level of collaboration that and the seat at the table that IT departments and CIOs had amongst the leader senior leadership teams completely changed and in, a, thankfully in, a, so. in a short period of time, mm -hmm. right? So much so that by 2023, 60% of CIOs will be tapped to lead cross-departmental functions Finally. and organizations to better innovate and drive revenue or drive out cost within individual businesses. So and it's someone like you, you, I was just going to say, I literally was going to ask you, are you saying to yourself, it's about time? Yes. Yes. <laughs> we, we've been, you know, all of us yes. that are in tech right. have been here, like we've been, you know, yeah. kind of calmly watching, you know, through the, through the window or on the other side and, and seeing all the things that are going on and things like shadow IT and marketing departments yes. going out and doing things, HR, buying software and without really right. seeing if we have the infrastructure to run all this stuff <laughs> and all that stuff now. I think we're at the point in time because, you know, we've, you know, in IT, we've elevated our status within organizations that, you know, 
there's going to be a lot more collaboration. And like I said, you know, a statistic out there is 60% of CIOs yeah. will, by, by next year, will be tasked to lead cross-departmental functions. That's the first time I've heard that, and I it, so. it makes complete it makes, sense. It makes perfect sense, and I would just add on to that. I think I think uh, us going remote drove part of that, but also just the nature of disruption in the industry yeah. is a lot of it is driven by tech. Mm-hmm. If you think about strategic advantages and what has really disrupted, a lot of times it's them figuring out a better way to, to deliver business, and it's enabled through technology. Well, now nothing is delivered without technology touching yeah. it. And yeah. business processes and technical capabilities are no longer divorceable. You have to keep looking at both, which is the strategic business analysis. We've been knocking on the doors of business. Julie and I have been kind of traversing this weird veil of we'll hang out in business for a while, understand kind of the business machine, really the fundamentals of the business, what you deliver, how you make money, what you deliver, how you make money. And we have been enabling those business functions. The why was coming from the business and IT was just meant to deliver. And over the last 10 years, there is no more business tells IT what to do. That's a great way to waste money. Mm -hmm. There is something that's more important, and that is that cross-functional collaboration and alignment and figuring out who needs to set strategy, but not just for the company. You need a digital strategy just as much as you need a human strategy. So maybe tech is the how in the context of this conversation, right? We talk a lot about the why, but how for technology. I'm curious, though, what advice would you give to company leaders that are debating between building custom solutions internally from a tech perspective or buying something off the shelf? So so I deal with businesses of all sizes, right? So from Fortune 100 companies down to, you know, small pizza shops and, and barber shops and those types of things, right? So one thing is you have to understand the why and what you're trying to get, where you're trying to go, and figure out whether you have the resources. And I would certainly talk to outside firms like like you guys to help figure that stuff out. But make see if there's, is it going to be better for you to do this internally? Do you have the time, the money, and the resources to do that? And is there a marketplace for you to monetize what you're doing after that? So there's many businesses that I deal with that have developed their own software, for example, to perform certain functions. And then as they realized there was nothing out on the marketplace, they went and built something that was better than anything else that was out in Web the marketplace. PT comes to mind for exactly. Me. And yeah. then and then now they're now they're going out and they mon- they're monetizing what they did. So that's that's something that you really have to think about. I mean, you know, if you're a small or a mid-market organization, you're probably, you don't have the time or the money or the resources. You're probably better off investing in or finding partners that can help you accelerate and get to your goals. If you're a large Fortune 500 company and you, you've got a lot of those costs already in the business and find different areas you can cut costs to take those resources and then go develop something and then who knows where it's going to go, right? WebPT is a, a great example of that. Well, and I think, you know, I think you called out a really important point, though. It's about it's about your core competencies, right? right? Yep. And so if you are looking at develop customs, developing custom software, is that your business is what I would ask, right? Because that's what kind of an investment it takes is to build out custom software. So Quite honestly, if that is not your business, if you're not a software player and you're going to monetize it, like Bob said, then 
most likely you're better off. You're not going to go out and build a better CRM than Salesforce, who's been no. doing it for a long time, right? So we got we got to be honest with yourself, but really think about where your core capabilities lie and really focus on those. Yeah, I agree with that. Digital tools are quickly becoming an asset class. I've been working in IT as a cost center in large corporations for a while and developing internal tools. So these are tools for employees to do their jobs better. And it, there was never a question of, should we sell this? Because we weren't a custom development shop. We were a service organization. And I think right now there is a stronger perspective when evaluating innovation initiatives. Is this a potential capitalizable vehicle? Can we actually develop something that can we can introduce on the street? And that's becoming more and more as part of, as innovation centers are being stood up um, as kind of marketing and product development and operations blend together to figure out the next digital solution. Um, those are all the product market fit conversations that need to happen after you figured out the problem that you're solving. And if you can solve it for yourself and that's what you're really solving it for and that's why you're building custom solution, you don't care what's happening outside, you, you have a problem. You have a delivery problem and you want to fix it. Um, build it yourself, possibly, is true. If there's a lot of I, uh, IP, intellectual property, or if there's a lot of sensitivity or regulatory control, um, sometimes it makes sense to build it in-house. And there's lots of ways you can build it in-house without, you know, bringing, building a whole custom development shop or building one from the ground up. But the, the part where I always talk to my clients, internal and external clients, is if you don't know what you're doing and how you're doing it and you don't know your own why, you're going to buy a solution off the shelf that's not going to meet your needs. And what you're going to do is you're going to edit your processes, your manual processes. You're not going to reconfigure your platform. Mm. The people who are doing the work for you are going to develop shortcuts. All this tribal knowledge is going to start to get abstracted. <laughs> We're all working remote. We can't pop into somebody's office and go, hey, if you double click in that place in the workflow, does that automatically save the record or do I have to press submit? You can't do that because you forgot why you were building the technical solution along the way. Eventually, it became an implementation of an outside CRM, right? You know yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I agree to, I agree to a certain extent, although I would say and I think it's important at a strategic level in a company to, to understand there's opportunity costs to the decisions you make. That's right. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you, um, when you invest resources to making maybe the perfect platform, as opposed to the one that's pretty darn close, you're making a decision about how to allocate your resources. And, you, and you've got to understand that if that is not your core capability as your business, you're, you're taking focus away from what is your core capability. I agree with you. My point was, unless you see a way to monetize that in the end, you're probably better off involving partners and getting advice and, you know, buying something. I mean, Salesforce doesn't sell, you know, it's, there's some stuff off the shelf, but it, obviously it's way customizable. We use it, we use it to run our business yep. today. But so it's just a matter of figuring out who you are, who you want to be, right? And does it make sense for me to go down this road and develop it? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? And do I have the money and the opportunity cost, like you said, to put, you know, a group of people off to the side to dedicate their, their time and energy to do this? 
and will it pay off in the end? You know? Yeah, and if it's monetized, then you could probably argue that it's one of your core capabilities, yeah, right? Exactly. So that, that's what it really comes down to. How about another? So you've already started answering this question a little bit, <laughs> but I'm curious about some of the pitfalls that you see. Um, so what are some of the common issues or missteps that you see companies make when they're performing a success or a strategic analysis that does not let them be successful? The thing that I see all the time, it sounds so silly, but it's really hard to do is articulate what the problem is. It's hard to put it into words. You can say it. We can talk about it. We'll fill each other's sentences. But when it comes to writing it down, everyone kind of gets nervous um, and it's harder. One of the pitfalls that I see and one of the things that I love to do and made a business about it is helping people envision that a bunch of distributed voices. So you make the problem statement as robust as possible and you write it down and you use that as your next vehicle to get you to your milestone of how are you going to chunk out the work or what's the most important thing to us right now or what's what's the why underneath the why, right? That is the old Ishikawa five whys thing is you want to ask why not just one time at the beginning of an initiative, but you want to ask why as many times throughout the process without being annoying because the why will change, right? And it's important to talk about it and react to it. Otherwise, you just kind of build resentment. So I think for us, when we talk about the most important thing you can do is write the why down. Just yeah, write it's down. so scary though, right? Because once you write it down, it's real, yeah, right? And then well. you're like, you're committed. And you're like, well. hey, we, we actually put this on the board. Like, right. you know, <laughs> like, like, don't forget, we have erasers, right? <laughs> that's true. You like, know, the other, thing, for a reason. the other thing that's really important about that you started to highlight there, Melody, is, is it's a prioritization. Yeah. Right. Nobody. I haven't met anyone yet who has unlimited resources. Uh, we all have unlimited once. Right. So part of that is really understanding not just what problem are we solving, but what are the most important parts of that that we need to solve? I think a lot of a lot of times people struggle because they try to boil the ocean. Hmm. Right. We're going to buy this tool. We're going to have it up and running and it's going to be rolled out to the entire organization within three months. I was just going to say three months. It's always three <laughs> it's always months. Three months. <laughs> And it's never three months, right? Well, uh, like 30 months. So, so it's about, you know, using those best practices around piloting, about making sure we, you know, we take the time to really understand yeah, who's so going to be impacted. You're reminded of something. It, yeah. We use the same methodology. So we do, obviously, we own and operate one of the largest IP bone backbones in, in across the globe, right? So you could argue we're number two or number three, but we're, we're one of the, we're one of the big boys, right? So we own and operate that backbone and we see any on any given day we see anywhere between 65 and 80% of the world's ip traffic okay so i mean our acquisition or merger with level 3 and level 3 owned global crossing that had this big fiber footprint across the globe and and all the other companies that that we've kind of merged with along the way so we actually took that network and turned it into a threat sensor so we met so we were talking about business intelligence and ai and those types of things right so we understand where all the threats are coming from. We're kind of like the U.S. Post Office in a way where we don't know what's in your package. We don't know what you're sending your, your mom for Christmas, and we don't know what you're sending your kids to college. But we do know that you don't normally send one more than one package every three months. When all of a sudden you start sending a bunch of packages in one single day, it, it's cause for investigation. It's you like might, my bank alerts. <laughs> you might be a bad actor, right? Okay. So, so we investigate that. 
With all the AI we put in there, we manage that entire global footprint with nine people. What? Okay. Hmm. So we see over a billion DNS queries every day. So going back to what you were saying in the methodology of where do I put my money? One of the things we provide for our clients is what we call penetration testing or security pen testing. So what we'll do is we'll go and we'll look at where all, where all the information is coming into their network, where that information is coming from. We'll look at the vulnerabilities we have. And then just like you said, we map it out for them. So we say, hey, these are, these are the top five most critical things that you need to do. You've got 30 problems here, but these, these ones down at the bottom are very minute or there's not a lot of people or bad actors out there that are going to exploit these. So you need to take care of these top five things today. And then when you get there, let's see where we're at. And then we can kind of move on and move on and, and down the stack till we solve all your problems. But you're exactly right. Not, not, I have unlimited wants. I know my, my kids have unlimited wants, right? For sure. Especially, you know, think about when we looked at the Sears catalog, I'm dating myself when <laughs> right. I was growing up, right? <laughs> and we used to check all the stuff off on there. But, right. but so we have limited resources. So being able to deploy your resources in the right spot and in the right place is really, really business is really important as an organization. You can't do everything and you have to know that, right? So, you know, it's, you know, and today, I mean, we're I don't, whether you could argue whether we're in a recession or not in a recession, and a lot of our larger larger customers have kind of put some put hold on some bigger projects because they're they're trying to figure out, hey, what's going to happen and what's going to do this. So, as an IT organization or as an IT provider to those organizations, one, you know, they still want to innovate, right? right? And they're still trying to innovate. You can't you can't just stop innovating, otherwise, you're going to lose market share. And so what we really focus on with our clients is trying, taking ideas to them around how to utilize their current spend and their current cost yep. containment and rearrange that to be able to use those monies to in, in the, into spots where they can become more innovative, right? Biggest bang so, for the buck. Yeah, exactly. Right? What's, moving, what's moving the needle? What's going to move the needle? What's going to move the needle the quickest? And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's the environment we're in today. But yeah. I agree with you 100%. You need to prioritize what you're doing, what's most important to you, and where, you know, do I really want, you know, a new car or do I want to <laughs> remodel my front yard? Like, yeah, can't both. do both right can't now. Can't do both right <laughs> now. Well, yeah, right? it would be lovely to do both. But yeah. The reality is something's got to go first and <laughs> yeah. see where it lands. Well, uh, we have a handful of other questions we want to make sure that you each have a chance to address in the next 15 minutes of our conversation. But before we do that, we'd like to thank our other sponsor. It is our 2022 Tech Advocate sponsor, JDH Insights. Let's hear from JDH Insights. Thank you, JDH Insights, for being our 2022 Tech Advocate sponsor. A leader in coaching and executive development, JDH Insights is committed to helping organizations cultivate and leverage their most important and complex asset, their humans. Visit JDHinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. Awesome. So uh, we've started to talk a little bit about this already. Lots of great points being made. I'm curious, though, how would you classify sort of your unique takes on helping companies overcome some of these barriers in the strategic business analysis process? So how do you help them stay adaptable through your businesses? I love that Bob just kind of led with that <laughs> a few yeah. moments ago. So is there anything else you want to add in addition yeah, I, to that? I think, I think, you know, one of the things that that we try and do as an organization is, is to help define the business problem, right? What is the business problem? And then, you know, use technology to help solve those issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing too, that's out there without 
without the kind of underlying right platform in place, you can't you can't do a lot of these things. Like you you know you may have some grandiose expectations of of putting in some new process, but without the tools and the under underlying technology in there, you can't do that. So you may have to redefine what your why is or what you're trying to accomplish based upon your resources and what you have, mm -hmm. or figure out a way to you know rob Peter to pay Paul or be more innovative over here in order to in order to control costs over here and those types of things. So I would I would leave it at that. So strategic business analysis is something that I I think a lot of people um, feel like they've got it handled in their organization. Mm -hmm. Like if you have an executive suite, if you have a CEO, COO, CPO, CMO, CR, whatever C's, typically that's the collection of people that you look to to help define strategy. And so there's this underlying assumption that it's happening regularly and that it's happening with efficiency and that it's happening in a kind um, way. And when I say kind, I mean it takes into account the constraints that your business is under, um, your employees are under, but also kind of overall what we've been through in the last few years, just taking a step back and realize there are some things out of our control and taking the time to write those things down and call them assumptions and writing a strategic plan down and working through those types of discussions. It's hard to yeah. have. Everyone kind of wants to do their own thing. When you're dealing with leaders, they have their own kind of best practices. They have their own, they have their own motions and kind of getting them all in concert is the goal of strategic planning and defining the why, a collective why together. And my company helps do that um, through strategic offsites or board retreats or leadership retreats, uh, um, helping facilitate those conversations, helping write things down for them, <laughs> and then giving them um, a little light coaching on how to have kind conversations when you're trying to convey a constraint. Because that's when strategy gets hard, is when they're counterintuitive. There are counterintuitive places in mm -hmm. strategy, right? Um, we call it orthogonally thinking. So you have two... What kind of thinking? Orthogonally. Orthogonally. orthogonally New meaning. word for the day? Yeah. 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 New, new to me as well. <laughs> Did you make that one up? I made up one earlier. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I made that one. Stoundary? What was it? Stounding? Stounding a company? Stounding a company. Starting a company. Say that word. Orthogonally. 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 So Holy thinking cow. of something orthogonally... A right angle mm -hmm. has one point in the middle... And it has two directions of thrust, essentially. And when you're thinking orthogonally, you're looking at it from one place, but you're looking at it in two very di different directions hmm. of thrust. And I think when you're planning st strategy for a lot of businesses, you're looking at one, one way of thrusting. And uh, sometimes looking at the opposite or orthogonal <laughs> helps you understand some of the constraints that you might be under. And we help with asking those types of questions. Mm -hmm. It's actually a probably more confusing way of saying. No, that was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And so, I, I went to my son's geometry class. <laughs> I mean, as in, you know, he's doing homework at home and he keeps wanting to show me these these angles and explain everything. He's like, or you could just say it's a right angle. <laughs> but now I can come back and go, but have you thought about it from this perspective? You have some bad? Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, you know, what, what my company does is we, we play in the space between business and tech. 
right? So the strategic business analysts that work at my company, we all have um, deep technical, but also deep business uh, backgrounds and experience, which allows us to be translators. Also change managers, um, helping with all those soft areas around communication and training that are often forgotten. So I talk to a lot of CIOs on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. and and, And I agree with you, like, the senior leadership team in most organizations, whether it's business owners like yourself or, or in senior leader pos- leadership positions in larger organizations, you know, a lot of times people assume that they're setting the right strategy and doing the right things, right? And what I hear from a lot of CIOs especially is that their team doesn't challenge them enough and their partners don't challenge them enough. And so just because XYZ company has always done business this way or they've always designed their infrastructure this way, they're not being challenged enough by their partners or individuals within their organization. And there tends to be a little bit of frustration or wish from individuals in those roles that their employees would speak up more and and challenge the status quo. Because just like you, you're all four of us. We're all individuals. We have one train of, you know, one train of thought. We may, we're open to other opinions. We're trying to make the best decision for the organization possibly. And the more ideas that we can get, the better off we're going to be. And, and all of us realize that. What I think is, is far too unspoken is if you're in a role that is not in one of the, you know, setting the strategy or setting the vision, don't think your opinion isn't meaningful. And, and speak up. It'll be amazing what it'll do for your career. I pointed out yeah. things within organizations that I've been in to make us better. And that's some of the, and you know, that's some of the ways that, you know, I've moved ahead in my career. Right. So, so if you're in that position and you see things that are out there, don't assume that the senior leadership team knows everything and they're mm-hmm. setting the right vision all the time. Now they may know some things that you don't know, and they may be making decisions of things they can't share with you at that point in time, but your input is always going to be valued, always going to be valued. You know, and along those lines, I think uh, this might sound a bit self-serving, but I think there's a lot of value in bringing outside perspectives into into your organization. It's very easy to get into the, we've always done it this way. Uh, We've already made that decision. We've always done it. So bringing in an outside perspective, whether it's a partner, vendor, consultant, I think can add a lot of value in and giving you new perspectives, maybe or orthogonal, orthogonal perspective. Before you leave, you'll need to write that down for us <laughs> on the way. I'm going with the right angle. Right, yes, it's not that smart. There you go. Well, we've got about five minutes left, so I want to make sure we have an opportunity to take a little stab at both these last two questions. The first one being, what are some of the cutting edge technology advancements that are moving the needle on how long term business strategies are formulated? You know, I'm going to dive right in there and say I think the future's around data. You know, taking big data and turning it into meaningful information uh, that people can act on and make decisions about is, I think it's where we're headed. And I think most organizations out there are pretty low on that maturity curve. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't, I would argue data is the new currency. I yeah. think it's more valuable than, you know, than being able to monetize that. The quicker you can acquire that information, analyze it, and then make decisions around it, the better off you're going to be. I think the future of, you know, one of the things that I don't think people realize is out there is this whole concept of edge computing. We've built out a huge edge compute environment in all the old neighborhoods and central offices where 
you know, some of you might still have home phone lines. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. But, you know, most well, of you have disconnected Most of you have disconnected nope. that. So that left us with, with a bunch of space and power. And so we've built a, a compute and storage stat shack in almost every neighborhood throughout the U.S. that can reach, you know, 98% of the U.S. population in under five milliseconds. And I don't think people realize that that's out there, but that's going to help us acquire data quicker be able to analyze it quicker and then act upon it. And I think you're absolutely right. I would argue that it's not coming. I would argue it's here today. And is it just Agreed. for enterprise and large businesses? Are we talking small micro businesses like me? I mean, data, yep. it's its critical no matter what. We need to know absolutely. what we're looking at and have the, the sources, the resources I, to give us the truth about what's happening. Absolutely. I say this to my team all the time. So there's an art and science to business, right? The art is your emotional quotient and what you see and what you're doing. If you're a sole proprietor and you're out there and you're gaining, because you, you pretty much know what you're going to do and you can see kind of the future. You see the changes you want to be able to make. But as you grow as an organization, you start to have to rely, especially as, as you get into higher leadership positions, yep. you have to start to rely more on science than, than you do on art. Now, I have a bunch of individual contributors in my organization and they still rely heavily on art every mm -hmm. single day. Mm -hmm. But I need them to put that information into tools and systems. So when I'm looking at something from a macroeconomic point of view, I can use the science along with along with art. So in a small business, I think it's probably 80% art, 20% science. But as you go up the stack, that, that'll flip. Yeah. Well, and even a small business has to worry about the security of their data. Yes. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> we all have to worry about that. Absolutely. Absolutely, especially when you rely I'll throw, on... I'll throw this out. This yeah. is kind of a cool factoid, right? Since the pandemic, ransomware attacks are up 500%. The average payout for an organization on a ransomware attack is up 78% to almost $500,000. Yep. Okay? Wow. And the prosecution rate, all the work we do at the FBI, all of us security private, the prosecution rate is less than one half of 1%. Hmm. So right. it is a very lucrative business, very low barrier to entry. And if you don't think, in, and you have to start thinking differently, before we'd build a house around, a, a wall around our house, and we put a screen door with a lock on it. And then we put a front door with a deadbolt on it and prevent people from coming in. Today, you have to realize people are already in your house. You've got to figure out a way <laughs> mm -hmm. to have them not take stuff out of your house. And there's this concept of zero trust out there in the security yeah. space. And if you haven't investigated that, you should be doing that like when when this is done. Right. Wow. <laughs> you know what's fascinating about today's conversation with you? You all have certainly you've been fantastic. And the amount of little... Um, vignettes or stories and, and metaphors that you've shared made it someone like me who's not tech savvy at all very understandable i really appreciate that all these examples have been phenomenal bianca what do you think i totally agree i think you all took something very abstract and made it tangible and i always get so upset when we start to get into really great parts of the conversation towards the end of our hour but i'm just so grateful for all of you taking the time to be here today and for contributing your expertise to the conversation and with that, 
Well, thank you. We're done. Thank so you for having me. So great great, great, great meeting you, lovely ladies. So I appreciate good. that. I appreciate the time here today. Yeah. Thank you very much. You guys have been brilliant. Uh, the show notes will have our speaker's information, and we'll have that turned around as a podcast after this live broadcast within just a couple of days early next week. I want to thank you again for being our speakers for this area of expertise and, and for your time today. You've been listening to AZ TechCast, brought to you by Phoenix Business Radio with Business Radio X. Today's AZ TechCast was brought to you by Arizona Commerce Authority, the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. So thank you again for Arizona Commerce Authority. We couldn't do it without you. And as well, we want to thank JDH Insights, the 2022 Tech Advocate Sponsor. Visit JDHinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. If you are interested in being a podcast participant or sponsor for the Council's AZ TechCast, contact Bianca <laughs> at marketing at aztechcouncil.org to learn more about opportunities to further position you as a tech expert, influencer, and innovator. Until next time, again, I'm Karen Owicki. We want to thank you for joining AZ TechCast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of AZ TechCast with Arizona Technology Council, featuring leading tech and business experts that help influence and shape our great state and the industries they serve.